Hi, Daniel. How are you? Hey, good to see you, Mark. You as well. All right. Well, welcome to the Edge Broadcast. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, listen, we're going to be talking about um, an end to the upside-down contact, but I guess you have a whole series of an end upside-down things and thinking. And I, I, I thought, when I saw that, I thought to myself, boy, everything is upside-down. So maybe, maybe if we turn everything upside-down, then everything will actually be right side up. <laughs> yeah, everything's inverted. That's what I've learned uh, over this journey for me, which has been a six-year journey. My background's in business. I used to work in investment banking in New York and then in Silicon Valley advising tech companies. But about six years ago, I started to realize that certain things were upside down. I focused on the topic of consciousness and the nature of reality to start, and it's progressed. And as I've researched more and more, I realized wow, there's this other topic that I was completely misunderstanding and a lot of society seems to be as well. Mm -hmm. Isn't it interesting, society, they seem to have goals, an educational goal per se, to sort of herd us in, really like a herd mentality uh, and, you know, everyone needs to think alike and, you know, I, I run a liner at the beginning of this show from the Prisoner uh, series back in the 60s where uh, the, the guy that was a prisoner, he, he said, I won't be stamped, numbered, indexed, briefed, or debriefed. He wanted to live a free life. But in this, this day and age, you are. you stamped, numbered, briefed, debriefed, inoculated, categorized, labeled. I meant, where's our, where is our, 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 our God-given autonomy here? It's crazy. It, it, we're at a, a stage where you can't even have an opinion. Uh, if you think a certain way, that could be considered dangerous. Mm -hmm. So uh, to me, the, the, the ultimate solution to these sorts of issues is shifting our consciousness because once we start to realize what's actually going on, then we'll start to act and behave differently and prioritize life in a different way. And that's ultimately why I write these books and have conversations like this because in my own journey, reading books and listening to podcasts mm -hmm. were what flipped me. I realized, wow, I have to rethink things. Mm -hmm. So I think it's, it's probably going to be some kind of a grassroots continued awakening. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm all for an awakening. That's for that, sure. The thing of it is, uh, I mean, as your your series says, an end to upside down contact or thinking. Uh, the end of what the world considered right side up thinking. No one has really espoused or delineated what the end of the way that we are proceeding is. What is the goal if everyone is herded? If everyone has a, a um, the same speech and the same thought patterns. What, what, what is the end of that? Isn't it only benefit those who want to control large segments with a stroke of a, a, a keystroke? Well, that's what it feels like. It feels like there's a desire for humans to play God effectively, to want to control all the variables and control the population very tightly even controlling the thinking of the people. And I think the alternative to that is the realization that all of us are innately spiritual beings, that we have innate power, and that it's our right to be free beings and to make contributions to society in, in our own unique ways. So that, to me, seems like the battle, which increasingly, to me, seems like a spiritual battle. Like, we see it, the manifestations in the media and the things happening in the world, mm -hmm. but I think it's multidimensional, and there's dark light, and it happens throughout our species, but probably many other species in the universe that might influence us without our direct knowledge. Mm -hmm. Well, that's an interesting way to frame that. There may be external forces at work here. And uh, 
I think someone would pull their hair out if they tried to make sense of things. And the thing, the thing of it is, uh, as rational people, we, we apply rational thought processes to the situation at hand, but we're not, work, we're not working with rationality here. There's something beyond rational here. And uh, for instance, you, you, you say spiritual. Well, that's not rational. When you say spiritual, automatically uh, uh, an organic being, uh, a naturalist would say there is anything other than the organic compounds of the planet and anything else is crazy. But so, so, let's say, so they would put you in a category of irrational. But it seems to me our rationality needs to be expanded. What we what we view as rational, because they're saying here's rational, and you can ex- everything you need to know you, you can explain in here. Well, I think you're finding out, and I've certainly found out over the years, it's not in that little that little circle. Completely agree, and that's where this journey started for me six years ago, because I used to think life was random and meaningless. I thought that's what the education system was teaching us. And anything spiritual, religious, that was just superstition from the past that we were trying to transcend. And then I learned about all the science, which suggested that there are other dimensions of reality that we can't see with our eyes. The U.S. government's psychic spying program for two decades, spending over $20 million using psychic spies for national security, tons of peer-reviewed journal papers, a lab at Princeton University for nearly 30 years where they studied psychic phenomena, and then also lots of research on uh, near-death experiences, children with past life memories studied at the University of Virginia, all this stuff that sounds uh, paranormal, but actually it does fit into a different paradigm of reality if we just shift uh, the way we look at science. So to me, Actually, a lot of these belief systems, looking at the paranormal and the spiritual realms, they do fit into science because there's science that backs it up. And it is rational to some extent, but to another extent, it requires personal experience. It's not tangible always. And science doesn't like that sort of thing when it's just anecdotal. Mm -hmm. I've been doing this program since 2003 and so many near-death experiences and psychic experiences and spiritual experiences uh, my own personal experiences in the supernatural and paranormal lead me to believe that this world is so much bigger. This dimension is so much bigger than we're being. We, the outside forces are trying to limit us uh, from ever accelerating in that, in that knowledge. And it seems like civilizations sort of rise and fall uh, on those kinds of conflicts and, and struggles between a, a, a spiritual person or spiritual civilization versus a carnal one where there's got to be a controller and there's got to be structure and there's got to be people who in charge making everybody else's decisions. It seems like these conflicts, they rise up, these two forces rise up into a battle and sometimes, a lot of times, the the naturalist view wins and we go back, really, we go back in in human suffering and then the spiritual component never seems to be eliminated. Sort of less like how the Romans tried to tamp out Christianity, but the more they did, it seemed they, they kept popping up. And then people started saying, well, we've tried to kill them off. We tried to torture them off. They're still talking about this. What is it that drives these people to stay with their supernatural beliefs? And uh, so I, I think right now it looks like we're, we're the spiritual segment, the in which I believe is a correct view, the larger view of life in general, is being tamped down and the the other forces, the the control forces are ahead. Do you see any hope that we can reverse that trend or is there going to have to be a smash down and a restart? (laughs) Well, I really don't know. I, I, some days I'm pessimistic and some days I'm more optimistic because if you just watch the media, you see this control system 
clamping down more and more and we see more and more censorship where you can only have one opinion basically um, and governments around the world becoming more controlling. So that's not a positive trend, but that's just the mainstream view and that's what we see in the media. There's a lot happening behind the scenes where people are waking up and programs like yours and many others that have big audiences. You wouldn't know it if you just turned on CNN, for example. So it's hard to gauge sometimes to know what's happening on a global scale. And what I always say is the best that we can do to start is to work on ourselves, to elevate ourselves in the best way we can, mm -hmm. and then try to be of service. And then the outcome, I mean, there's only so much we can do. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, by the way, I want to welcome Shamrock uh, to the to the live chat. If you have a question out there watching the program, just jump in the live chat and Jade, the moderator, get it over here. Speaking of questions, uh, Mark Grumpy, old army vet, says, Mark, does do you have any knowledge of a treaty signed between aliens and world governments? I have heard speculation about that, but I really can't comment because I'm not an insider. And I've read, you know, people who believe it, other people who don't believe it. Uh, there was a, a, a high up guy the, in the Israeli space directorate uh, at the end of 2020. NBC News reported on it and he talked about a galactic federation. And he seemed to allude to the fact that there is there are relationships between governments and alien species. But I can't confirm because I haven't I don't have direct knowledge now. While, while the heading of this particular conversation is <clears throat> centering on uh, your book, An End to Upside-Down Contact, one would think that just we're talking about aliens, but you, in the bio that we have for you, certainly are talking in a much larger, as far as contact goes, the contact that is made in near-death experiences, the contact is made by extra-dimensional beings. I mean, um, I've, I've seen ghost activity myself. Something's out there. And I'm wondering what the threat is for the, the the for people to seek the, that knowledge as is, is what's out there, what the threat is to the system that they that they hate so much. Well, it feels like if we all knew the truth, then we would recognize how innately powerful we are, and also how much we've been suppressed, and that would probably create a lot of anger and distrust. So. I mean, the more I learn, the more I realize that our population is a society of ignorance, really. And that's been my personal goal is to try to break out of that and share information like many like you and many of your audience members, I'm sure, as well. Um, so you could imagine if you're on the side of wanting to keep the, the people in a state of ignorance, you wouldn't want them to find out. I try to put myself in their shoes. So um, that brings to brings us to topics like disclosure. Will there be disclosure? How would it happen? Would it be a slow dribble because they wouldn't want us to recognize the extent of the lies throughout history? Um, I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, we have on the website there, I don't know if you saw, we have a, a question that's pertaining to tonight's topic. Uh, there are actually two poll questions, but the one's uh, kind of on the side. All right, which, which non-human entity have you interacted with? And uh, for those watching the program, those choices, that polls on the left side of the website, your choices are... Ghost, angel, demon, leprechaun, dogman, my favorite, alien or Democrat. Let's take a look. I don't know how they got in there, but right now, <laughs> I'm sorry. So I don't even know where you stand, man, but if you're Democrat, then people have interacted with you because it says the number one non-human entity people have interacted with is a Democrat. The second one uh, uh, is angel, then aliens. Evidently, there are those in our audience, Mark, that say they have interacted with angels or with aliens. Uh, I've got my own sort of angel family story, um, and I've I've told I tell you this one. Uh, my brother was doing a wheelie on a motorcycle and ran right into a pole, 
and uh, sent him to the hospital emergency room. He was on the operating table. He was getting ready to die. And my dad was in the bathroom, and he was crying and because uh, he got ready to lose his son. And he said a, a hand, somebody put their hand on his shoulder and said, your son's not going to die. He turned around, and there was nobody there. Hmm. So that's sort of, that's, that's typical of, of what we would say maybe would be a classic a, uh, angel interaction. And sometimes angelic interactions, like all invisible things, and sometimes they're visible, sometimes they're not. You may or may not see them. All right, another question for you. This is from Yahweh First. says, Mark, have you seen the show Resident Alien on Sci-Fi Channel? I have not seen that show. Okay. Have you, um, <laughs> did you, uh, have you checked out, I, I forget what channel, I think it's on Freebie, um, the uh, Project Blue Book. Okay, I'm familiar with Project Blue Book, but I haven't seen yeah, they created that, a series. that particular program. Yeah. Well, I got it. I got it. Let's see, did I get, how far did I get on it? About 20 minutes? I got about 20 minutes into it, and then I was severely, and uh, I was severely wounded by what I was seeing. And I said, give me the control. I'm never watching the show again. You wouldn't think that would be something I would say about an alien show, but the huh. content they put in there, let's just say they updated Project Blue Book, wasn't it, the 60s? They, they, yes. up, they updated that in 2022's, societal norms and so therefore ruined it because what they put in there wasn't happening back then but anyway that's enough of that story there is moving moving on all right so have you experienced uh any uh, non-human entities yourself not that i'm aware of and i say not that i'm aware of because i think we're all probably being influenced in ways that we don't recognize so the way I look at consciousness and the brain and the way that we even experience life is that the brain is almost like an antenna receiver transmitter that's picking up stuff. So when we have a, a, a creative thought, for example, even scientists, they don't know where that comes from. My argument, and I make this primarily my first book and end to upside down thinking and my podcast, mm -hmm. Where Is My Mind, that our mind, our consciousness is not from our body. Our body picks it up. So then that raises a question. What is it that we're picking up? What's the signal that we're picking up? So I, I often wonder, am I being guided? You know, a lot of people speculate that sort of thing. Um, so maybe I'm being influenced in that way. I've also, particularly earlier in my journey, I worked with lots of psychics and channelers because I wanted to explore and see if the science was actually real if I interacted with people that were do, could claim they could do these things. Mm -hmm. And I've definitely interacted with people where their whole voice changes, the way their syntax um, clearly that some kind of being is speaking through them, especially mm -hmm. some people I even know personally that can do that. So I've had those kinds of encounters, but I've never seen a being. I've never, you know, I've never had a mm -hmm. conscious experience like what you're describing. Mm -hmm. um, I have had lots of synchronicities as well, but that's, mm -hmm. you know, not as tangible. And on your, my finally on your political question, um, I wrote my book in Upside Down Liberty. It's all about my highly libertarian views, which are very critical of the left. So, oh, no worries. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, we certainly. Certainly got to be careful about that. But anyway, um, no worries. <laughs> all righty. All right. There's, there's, in fact, there's the book right there in the background there. Yeah. All right. Uh, Rose says, Mark, are aliens and demons the same beings? Great question. I think one of the issues here is terminology because some people will say, why? Well, I, I saw an angel. Another person will say, I saw a being of light. Another person might say, I saw an alien, a reptilian. So we have, we're limited by human language. 
And I think that's one of the big challenges here, because for those of us who hadn't had, haven't had a direct experience, we're relying on the words that someone comes back with, unless they have visual evidence, which is harder to prove. So sometimes they might say they saw an alien, but maybe it was demonic or some kind of negative entity. And something I've become increasingly wary of is this notion of trickster beings that can shapeshift. Mm -hmm. And in my book, new book, An End to Upside Down Contact, I talk about the work of John Mack, who was a Harvard psychiatrist, head of the psychiatry department at Harvard, Pulitzer Prize winner. He studied people who alleged to have experiences with alien abductions. And what he said is that aliens appear to be consummate shapeshifters. That was what he was hearing from people. He didn't regard the people as psychotic when they told the stories because the details were so similar um, all over the world, even in children. Um, so that's pretty powerful. If the beings can transform, you could have a being that appears one way, but it's actually not that way. Mm -hmm. Um I understand that. And there's also the phenomena that people say, my grandma came to me. And that sounds innocuous enough, but sometimes I think that appearances of your late grandma might be a trickster that you're describing because they would know, the trickster would know what uh, you know and what triggers you and you could be manipulated as a result. It's a really good point. It's something that I didn't consider when I first started researching this stuff. I'd hear about these accounts where deceased relatives appear, and I took it at face value. And now I'm just starting to wonder, how can we can't prove it. Um, so this brings me to the topic of near-death experiences, for example. Mm -hmm. So a person is in some kind of major physiological trauma, like cardiac arrest, clinically dead, and they experience, often it's very positive. Sometimes it's hellish, but that's a smaller percentage. Mm -hmm. And there are less, uh, less commonalities among those reports. The vast majority are, you know, people are, are immersed in unconditional love. They meet deceased relatives. They see spiritual beings. It could be Jesus. It could be the Buddhas. Or it could be other types of beings. It could be a being of light. And um, the reason I tend to think those are actually positive encounters is that people come back changed in a positive way. Like they become more spiritual. They seem mm -hmm. to have positive change. But I think you're right, Daniel. We can't prove that every one of those accounts is as it appears to be. We mm -hmm. don't know mm -hmm. because these beings are, are very, very advanced. Well, advancing our conversation a, a bit on that, we were talking about basically maybe sort of the global elitist control mechanisms that are being enacted across the planet now. When you, we're seeing that countries are aligning themselves in the same behavior toward their populations and um, it, it begs the question, is there a nefarious entity that's controlling them? That, so in my book, An End to Upside Down Liberty, which the, the general idea in the book is that government is not a, a positive force. It's actually an oppressive force by nature. And I contemplate that question in the book, Daniel. I ask, well, if we incorporate the idea that we live in a multidimensional reality with these beings, is it possible that the power structure structures are being influenced and it could be in a direct way or maybe they're they're interacting with beings there are dark rituals where people try to summon demonic forces we know that's a real thing it's even talked about in the bible but that's been discussed in many uh, accounts since then and there are also uh, cases where people ch like try to channel benevolent beings which some people in power could try to do but mm -hmm. you could imagine if you took the perspective of a dark force You'd probably want to go after the people in power and try to influence them because they could influence the whole population. And that's the that was one of the other theses of the book and why power structures, including government, is so dangerous. Because all you need is a small number of people pulling the levers in society, and you can have just a little amount of evil creating a, a large amount of damage. Mm -hmm. 
And for that reason, I do often worry that that governments or people in government could be influenced by dark forces. Mm -hmm. If we think back in early America, as the settlers started moving, moving west, for some period of time, all of them had complete independence and were able to do and think and say and act and behave any way that they wanted to until organized cities started coming and then the rules started coming and the laws started coming and then everybody had to change their ways to fit in. I mean, this is good and bad there, but there, but, but let's just say the good intentioned folks had there been more of the good intentioned folks there, we, we would require less laws to try to manage everyone into the same pattern of behavior because you know, you and I wouldn't, we wouldn't steal from our neighbor. We wouldn't kill our neighbor. We, we, there's so many things we wouldn't do. But then I guess, but there was that time when there was a whole lot more freedom. One of those kind of the, kind of the freedom since the, 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 the tipping point was a movie with uh, Kevin Costner called Open Range. I don't know if you've seen that. No. Okay. It's a great movie because it's, it's, it's just at a time when free grazers would move their herds of cattle across lands, but then they started hitting uh, people in town started claiming land that these grazers would just graze because they're just America was just this wide open place. So there was this conflict then that began to develop between the free grazers and the communities saying you can't graze in our land and this is you, you know everything you're, everything you know is, is over because we just said so. And so mm -hmm. there was that conflict and there was some shooting that broke out. But there was a, a time in history when uh, kind, kind of like a when the Pony Express kind of went away. Did you know that the, the Pony Express claimed that if you got on a train they were trying to take the place of the Pony Express. They said you would break your neck at the at the speed of 15 miles an hour. So they were trying to convince people, don't take the train, stay with the coach. Well, they lost oh, wow. they lost that argument. All right, yeah, that's uh, some propaganda. But I want to add on to that point because yeah. I, I get into this in my book on liberty as well. Because um, I advocate for the notion of private property at a very extreme level that we should be responsible for the property that we own, that we rightfully own, and that people can set up their own rules. But then it's on their own terms. And then if you're interacting with someone else's property, then you are voluntarily interacting with their rules rather than the way we have it now. We have a third party that can impose on people if you live in a certain jurisdiction, whatever it wants, really. And we don't have control of we don't have direct control over that. And that's to your earlier point. That could be problematic, especially if there are dark forces mm -hmm. influencing those rules. Mm -hmm. And then we have segments of the population that simply vote your rights away I mean, it's, and your freedom right. and your liberty away. And then that's something wrong with that, Mark. I'm telling you. <laughs> All right. Our, I'm with our, you. You know, you, you, you mentioned something earlier about the, the, the you, you get a thought or a dream. I think mainly about dreams that they seem to come externally. I had a dream expert on the show. And for 15 minutes, I tried to ask, where do dreams come from? And I could, no matter how I explained it, I, I, I said, I said, are they are they just thoughts that assemble themselves, or do they come from somewhere else? And, and I just kept getting this two-dimensional answer, and there's no way I could ask, frame the question. Is it possible that they, the information comes to us? You, you mentioned that maybe we're, we're receivers, that we are receiving something, because I know that I've had dreams of things that I've never seen, so therefore it couldn't have been a fragment of thought on on a on a on a uh, 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 something in in the brain. I, I don't think so. All right. Um, yeah. Are aliens here to help or harm? I think it depends on how we define the term aliens. And the way I look at it, based on what I've researched, again, not through personal experience, but just having researched a lot of other people's experiences, I think there's a variety of species. And even within species, you probably have some that are more benevolent and others that aren't as benevolent. So my answer is, I think it depends. I think there are some that are probably trying to help, 
or want have our best interests at heart, even if they don't intervene all the time, and others that probably want to enslave or they feed off of our fear and our negative energy. Well, there's certainly a lot of that going around. So they ought to be pretty. They ought to be pretty fat, as far as I can tell, uh, with, <laughs> with the way the situation is now. Uh, Rose says, "Mark, what do you know about my labs? Supposedly, the military involved with alien abductions." Yeah, I wrote about my labs in my new book, and end upside down contact because once I started exploring this abduction phenomenon. I mean, that was so mind-blowing to me. I'd kind of heard about it within the last few years, and then I started to read John Mack's work more closely. I mean, his detailed case studies on these abductions, as a Harvard psychiatrist, the detail that goes into it, and then looking at many other cases, um, and then going down the rabbit hole, starting to realize that some of the people who had those experiences claimed that there was military involved, and it, it seems to come up all over the place. So, I mean, I have a hard time as a researcher discounting all of those cases. And given what we know about government secrecy, I wouldn't be surprised. So there's something mm -hmm. going on. I don't know exactly what it is, but I think our power structures know a lot more than they tell us. I would agree with that. It seems to me they, they slap a top secret level, level classified uh, on every document that anybody wants. And while there are laws on the books for FOIA requests, most of the time the government won't even, they just dismiss your FOIA requests and we're not going to give it to you. And, um, you know, I mean, on, on, the, on the simplest of things, and so we're never going to get to the bigger topics because they're, they're the gatekeepers. And I don't think it was ever designed for that. And, and as long as we're kept in the dark, we're, we're, we're just the masses, we're just the numbers to them. Um, and so, but, you know, here's what I've always said, Mark. I said, well, you know, if, if, I, if I'm in a prison, if I'm in a virtual prison, to some extent we all are, mm -hmm. um, in fact, and part of my sentence recently was I got kicked off of YouTube. So, <laughs> oh, wow. and, and it's a badge know, of honor. <laughs> and you know, the algorithm went back a year and a half to somebody who said something in a sentence. I was thinking a year and a half later, now they banned me and they said for grievous, grievous misinformation, I'm, I'm, I'm an irredeemable man. I mean, they said there's no chance. Don't, they said don't, it was so bad. They said don't even, don't even, uh, request a review we're not going to give you one Let's, oh my goodness well, how about tell me well, what that, it is uh, i think you're, you're uh you've got your you're, you're just disseminating too much truth that's what it is yeah you're right it is it is a badge of honor but that's kind of the dimension that that we live in but i've always said hey if they if we're in a fema camp of whether literally or figuratively at least i want to know i'm in there i don't want to be i want to be a free thinker in my cell i don't want to blindly accept everything i don't like that you know, I, I don't want to know what's happening. I want to know what the truth is, and then I can deal with it. But the, yeah. the, the forces manipulate so much, you, you had to fight tooth and nail to get a scrap of truth on any subject. Yes. Yeah, so one example that comes to mind is the declassified documents on the government's uh, secret spying program. Russell Targ, who was one of the leaders of the program back in the 1970s, um, Apparently, his son is an attorney and was able to get the documents declassified because he used legal tactics to get them out. But if we didn't have that, I mean, someone like me as a researcher, it would have been much harder to research the topic of remote viewing. And in my book, An End to Upside Down Thinking, I was able to include some of those declassified documents which say remote viewing is a real phenomenon. Implications are revolutionary. And then it shows the scientific panel that examined it. Now, as a researcher, that's very compelling. And without having that kind of you know, hardcore evidence, it's it's much more difficult to convince people. So I completely agree with you that we get like these little scraps because that's just a, you know, that's one little piece of evidence, which is still really important, but there's so much that we don't know. 
And my mind keeps going back to something I've been looking at more recently, and I mentioned in the Contact book and also in the Liberty book, is the, the scriptures known as the Nag Hammadi texts. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so let me just summarize because I, I hadn't heard of them before, but these were uncovered in 1945 in Egypt. There were farmers looking for manure, and they found these jars mm-hmm. in the ground, right. huge bound books written in the 2nd, 3rd, 4th century AD. And there are a number of of basically little texts within the whole bundle. And a few that I focused on, uh, one is called The Secret Gospel of John, another is called The Nature of the Rulers, and another is called On the Origin of the World. And one of my favorite quotes from it, I'll paraphrase, um, it describes the origins of humanity. It basically points to this notion that you're describing, Daniel, which is that there's a force that suppresses our knowledge. And this has been going on for a very long time. And the quote that I always point to is, it says, the rulers kept humanity in a state of confusion and toil so that they would be preoccupied with the things of the world and not have time to focus on the Holy Spirit, which is, Mm -hmm. that summarizes our world Mm -hmm. in many ways. Yeah, there's a, uh, I think there's a scripture that says, uh, says uh, know ye not ye are gods, and that is a fearful thing to the controllers because in the, in the controller's mind, we're the slaves, uh, we're the, and we're, we're, we're basically um, cattle in that, soup, in, in that situation. Um, by the way, we have a, a little comment. It's not a question. It says, this smart guy sure is sharp. <laughs> <laughs> Thank so, you. <laughs> right. That's pretty good. Uh, so, so there's there's a lot about uh, uh, us being controlled and disinformation out there. Um, is it that if we acknowledge or if we try to uh, exercise our spiritual awareness, that that is it possible that we will manifest what maybe somebody would say a spiritual gift of some kind, something that is whether moving objects with your mind or uh, having the cure for cancer come. I mean, is is there are these kinds of things out there for those that that go down that path rather than the knowledge based world situation? I think so, and that's one of the reasons I've been so motivated to write these books and have these conversations. Because once you open the door and realize that there's more to life, and you start to research and have experiences yourself, and just become more curious, what seems to happen is that your innate power opens up. And in my second book, An End Upside Down Living, I talk about the awakening journey. I've studied many journeys of people, not only ancient people, but in modern times. And there are many similarities. One of the things that happens, especially for very advanced people, they're called cities in the yogic tradition, S-I-D-D-H-I-S. Mm-hmm. Um, these are the powers that you're describing. They become activated as someone reaches or gets closer to a state of enlightenment where they're sort of transcending the worldly stuff and they're in such a very high state of consciousness that these abilities become natural. And they're almost like divine gifts. That's mm. the way they're described. They're not things you, you could acquire them by practicing, but they're still gifts. Mm. And those gifts, if we had them on a big scale, those would be difficult to manage for the dark forces. Mm-hmm. I totally agree with you on that on that one there. And I think it's one of the, the, the fears that the controllers have. And really, I mean, there's this euphemism called wag the dog that happens every time there's a situation, some event comes up, everybody's distracted. Um, you know, I'm still I'm still waiting for the leaker of the Supreme Court, uh, Roe v. Wade. What happened to that? What happened to the Christmas parade killer that ran through the crowd? I mean, where, where's Jesse Smollett? I mean, you got all these questions. Why why are hundreds of uh, food processing plants burning up? Why did 10,000 cattle die at one place at one time? I mm-hmm. uh, these, these we don't get these questions. Who okay? Who who blew up the Georgia Guidestones? 
They right. had video camera on there 24 hours a day. All we get was a clip of a car at the bottom of the screen going that way. But right. that thing was on 24 hours. I haven't even heard of forensic investigation. In fact, Mark, you must know that they blew the thing up. They tore it down before they did the investigation at the crime scene. Yeah. It's unbelievable. It's the same thing with 9-11. They were shipping 9-11 steel to China from the crime scene before it was looked at. I mean, this is the kind of thing that we have to deal with. And in order to even know the things that you're describing, you have to go outside of the mainstream press. It takes a free thinker and someone with the energy to say, I'm going to turn off the TV, or maybe I'll turn on the TV to just know what they're saying, mm -hmm. and then look at these other resources and do my own investigation. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you're never even going to know these things. Mm -hmm. And that's been one of the hardest things for me personally because um, I feel like there's so many people who are very intelligent from an intellectual standpoint. But they just stick with the mainstream narrative and they don't look outside of it and they have mm -hmm. such a hard time believing that there mm -hmm. could be these other facts that exist. Yeah. So then they just stick with the mainstream narrative. And we need mm -hmm. more and more people doing what you're describing mm -hmm. is asking these questions mm -hmm. because that, that opens up a whole can of worms to try to understand what's actually going on in the yeah. world. That's just pure laziness what you're describing and most people take that path. And what I found is that type of laziness to take those canned boxed uh, conventional answers to dismiss them really is the denying oneself the opportunity for a much more satisfying life, knowing that at any time a supernatural event occurrence, um, uh, entity of any kind of some sort, near-death experience, if something may happen to you, uh, if you're aware of it, you mentioned earlier about um, <clears throat> synchronicity, and I'm always following that path. I'm always looking for that because I've had so many of them that I'm kind of always looking Um you know, and I tell this classic one, I was going to a, bar, a, a barbecue place with the wife, and I said, we're going to get a free cake. And now you know what happened. I got a free cake. I don't know how. <laughs> I, I'm just saying, I mean, but that, that, that's one. But, I mean, I've had so many other synchronicities. That, but that tells me, what's telling me is there's more going on out here. And I think that we're more designed to operate in that in those fields because I think it's unnatural it's upside down to be in the carnalistic, naturalized world of canned answers and formulas that we're given. And besides that, every formula that we're given to say this is the truth, the next year it's going to be disproven. Right. Yeah. I think our nature is to be free. That's our spiritual nature. And we're embodying that spiritual nature through a physical vessel. So I agree with you that it's it's natural for us to want to be able to explore things and think on our own. But we go we grow up in the society where they basically turn people into zombies, where it's you think this way, we're going to educate you in this way, listen mm -hmm. to these sources and these experts, and if you don't, then you are a conspiracy theorist if you ask a question. Um, and it, it, it can be seductive to just go go with the flow. And you're reminding me of a conversation I had with a friend of mine, very, very smart guy. And when I first started researching several years ago, I was telling him evidence of psychic abilities, evidence that our consciousness survives when our body dies. And he looked at me and said, Mark, you might be right. You're you're giving me a lot of compelling evidence, but my life is pretty good the way it is, and I don't want to rock the boat, so I'm not going to pursue this. So there's this psychological uh, hurdle for a lot of people where they just they don't want to rock the boat in their life. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right, we have this question here from Australian Ben. He um, says, um, John Mack posed an interesting question: Is what is happening alien abduction isn't happening? What is Mark, what is your underlying pathology in these people living through profound paranormal experiences? Okay. 
Well, with regard to abductions, what's interesting about it is that in some cases, John Mack said this, the person's body seems to not be there in the physical, so they seem to be actually taken to another place, maybe on a craft. But in other cases, the body, the physical body is still in the room or wherever it is, and the consciousness is what seems to go somewhere else. We see this also in uh, experiences with DMT, dimethyltryptamine. Mm -hmm. It's right. a psychedelic. Right. It's found in nature, actually produced by the body, but it's basically decomposed so quickly that we're not all tripping all the time. But there were there's studies done by Rick Strassman from the University of New Mexico where he intravenously injected people with DMT. And he was shocked to find that people were encountering intelligences. They were encountering beings. And even they had experiences that resemble exactly what John Mack had been studying with abductions. People being operated on, they were encountering encountering reptilians, insectoids. So Whoa. this is another example where their body's in one place, but their consciousness goes somewhere else. So what seems to be happening, at the very least, is that a, an aspect of us, maybe in some cases it's physical, in other cases it's not, is being interacted with, and that can carry through to our body because we're still impacted. At the very least, it's emotionally impacted and spiritually. Uh, but something very real seems to be happening to all these people. Mm -hmm. I've, I've been telling the audience for some time that that if you want a fuller life, you need to be kind of be aware of of the of a larger. I mean, it's it's like um, every time I, I have a decision to make, and everybody comes to this. You, there's a, always a why, you know, the, the decision you have to make, or an event's getting ready to happen to you, or even a doctor report. There's that why in the road. Is it a good one, or is it a bad one? And everyone comes to that point many many times in their life but this seems to me there's something that tips to scale one way or the other and I don't know how much we have to do with it um, I'm not a fatalist I think but I think that I think we have we have free will but there's also something else there's something I don't know if intangible would be the word or there's just something that tips to scale as to whether or not it goes in, in, in your in your direction and it seems that if you're if you're struggling to be into that knowledge of a supernatural world, that it, more often than not, it kind of tips towards your way. It's like you have somebody that has been moving on your behalf because, simply because of the fact, dare I say, you have belief or faith or knowledge. One of those is, is, is allowing a, a, a good force to come in and help you out a little bit. Mm -hmm. Well, I found that in my own life. It's felt like I've been guided. I don't see it, but it's just things have happened that I can't really explain where I feel like there's there's help. And it also reminds me a bit of uh, the, what John Mack described when people come back from abduction experiences. There's a bit of a choice that people have to, to integrate the experience because the, people are confronted with this reality that's so different than their everyday life. And if they decide to integrate it in a positive way and accept the spiritual nature of it, that there's more to life than meets the eye, then they might have a positive shift in their life. And some of them do have positive shifts. But he mm -hmm. said it could be very traumatic if they're not mm -hmm. willing to take make that shift. Mm -hmm. So there is this, this aspect of free will in the way that we handle events. Like we have the choice in terms of how we're going to orient our consciousness with regard to any event. Mm -hmm. And the way we orient it can have a big effect on not only how we handle it, but maybe our life will actually change mm -hmm. because of our new lens. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I've, I've gotten to the point where I, I, I don't make um, broad brush statements, but I'm almost to the point, Mark, where I can tell if, if somebody is going to have favor in their life by the way they're reacting to a current situation in their life. 
If mm-hmm. I don't hear, and this is this is very sad to me. It's like um, um, if if I don't the person that's struggling, if I don't hear them mention anything about spirituality, and for many, of course, be God or Jesus. If it's just simply the doctor said this, and I got to do this, and I've got to you know, and, and this, oh, I don't how am I going? And, and that's the whole conversation. To me, it seems I can almost I don't want to say predict. But I have a feeling that the outcome is not going to be a positive one. Have you ever, do you know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about people that yeah. just, they sort of, their, their, their default is negative. No spirituality at all. In fact, it doesn't come into their mind that there's a larger picture at hand. And I, I've tried, you know, and over, over time I try to put things into people's lives to direct them that way for their own benefit. Yeah, well, I can totally relate. Number one, from personal experience, because I used to be that way. I would have a negative outlook when an event would happen because I thought there was no meaning behind anything. And then when I started this research journey of of awakening, if you want to call it that, now I look at everything as a learning experience. And what we call positive and negative is our own charged judgment on something. Every event can be viewed through the lens of learning. And that's how I look at something when it happens. There's this instant reaction if it's a negative event where it causes some kind of suffering. There's an instinct where... Maybe I'll be in a negative state for a short amount of time, and then my rationality will kick in, and I'll think, okay, what's happening here? What can I be learning from this? Maybe this event, which seems negative, is actually steering me away from something that I thought I wanted, but Mm -hmm. it actually wouldn't be so good for me. So it's the shift in mindset that allows for much more resilience. Exactly, man. You just hit the nail on the head right there. That's the the zero button right there. That is that what appears to be a negative, and then it it looks like – and in fact – you know, it comes to us as a negative. It seems that we willingly jump into that and agree it is negative, but maybe we don't need to agree with that. And I'll give you a case in point, a personal experience just recently. This is very private, but I'm going to just say it to everybody watching. <laughs> I thought I had a hernia. I had a, a bulge in my stomach. And so everything I read on the net told me how bad it was. Is, is it a belly button uh, hernia or is it this one or is, or is that one? So I had to come time, had a little bit of anxiety, but try to maintain my focus and say, well, I know that's what it looks like. I mean, I've seen it. I've seen the pictures. Sounds like that's what it is. But I said to myself, I'm just not, I'm just not convinced that's what it is. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I said, I said, I said, I said well, I'm going to see the doctor and I'm going to get a good report. Well, went to see the doctor and he told me of some obscure belly muscle that gets a little weak as not at all a hernia. Now, <laughs> And 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 within that week and in, in that time a two week period, several people that I know had hernia operations that had hernias. So it was like it was coming to me, yeah. hernia, 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 hernia. Now I'm not saying that a person can think their way out of something or speak their way out. Although I believe the power of words and I do believe the power of positive thought as well. That's not that doesn't guarantee you everything. It doesn't give you a free ticket. But wouldn't you? rather operate in that realm with a higher percentage in possibility, the possibility of a good outcome rather than remaining in the, uh, the, the, the descriptive negative that somebody's trying to tell you that's the way it's going to be. Yeah, totally. Um, you're reminding me of something I mentioned in my second book, An End Upside Down Living. I talk about 10 approaches for living life, and I use this term non-judgmentalism. It comes from the spiritual teacher, Dr. David Hawkins, who was a psychiatrist, and he says, he, he basically rationalizes exactly what you're talking about, which is that we exist within this field of intelligence that is so beyond what we can comprehend on our own. And it's almost like we're going through a maze 
and we can just see what's immediately in front of us. But if we had a helicopter's perspective, we could see the other things ahead and we would interpret the events very differently. Mm -hmm. So as we're going through the maze, we might see an event and we say, oh, this is really scary or negative. Uh, but that's only from the limited perspective of being in the maze. So we really can't judge something because we don't know how it fits into the broader perspective. So even if something happens that goes against what you wanted, um, you might think to yourself, well, why didn't I want this to happen? Because I had these assumptions, but are those assumptions actually correct? And when you start to do that kind of mental analysis, mm -hmm. everything becomes less traumatic. Mm -hmm. that, go that goes to our earlier conversation about, uh, we were talking about tricksters yeah. and how that they would have an, an intricate knowledge of your personal life so it seems they may be involved, they could be involved in giving you that reinforce, that negative reinforcement for different things and where you say, well, gee, it has to be that because this, thus, and thus. But it may be that that was sent to you, you know, to, to, to facilitate your agreeing to downfall. And here's something I've kind of, uh, I, would, I would say I kind of come to a conclusion about this, and, and that is there seems to be some spiritual law, Mark, that we have to give permission for something negative to happen in the world, in politics, uh, in our own lives, that there's, there's some kind of permission-based rule or that those forces getting ready to exact uh, carnage, chaos on us or the world or government or whatever has to announce it ahead of time. Uh, and there's some sort of announce, there's some kind of celestial rule that I've, it, it happens almost every case, classic one, 9-11. There's a, a CD, I don't know, maybe it was a year before, where it was a rapper CD, and he was, the picture in the front of it, a guy with a remote control, and he was blowing up the two towers. Um, that was the cover of the CD. And then there was, I think I think it appeared in uh, The Simpsons before. And I don't know how much stuff's appeared mm -hmm. in The Simpsons. That yeah. ha really happened. Even Trump coming down the escalator, it, you better check The Simpsons, man. But yeah. there seems to be some announcement, whether it's movies, newspapers, somewhere, telling humans that something's coming your way. Yes. I don't fully understand it myself, but it seems to be that way. And we're seeing it right now with essentially the Great Reset, that, that our society is moving toward this more technocratic version of life, where there are experts who are going to tell us what to do, and transhumanism, where we're going to merge with machines. But the way it's always spun, in many of the cases, is that these are positive things that are being told told to us and sold to us. Um, another example, which is somewhat related, is the inoculation is where we weren't forced to take it, in a sense. We were coerced, mm -hmm. uh, if you, but you had to have a lot of strength to reject it. But it was still voluntary, um, and people had to make difficult decisions, sometimes had to leave their job. But that's another case where, in, the, in, the, in some sense, it was voluntary if people decided to take it. So... All these cases, it does seem like things are imposed on us, but we have the ultimate say, mm -hmm. and therefore we need to have strong boundaries. I think this is a part of our spiritual growth as individuals and collectively to say no when something is not right mm -hmm. and also not to conform just because everyone else is doing something. Now, that is interesting, too, because the state apparatus, the state machine has the power to make you take it. Uh, the inoculation. They have yeah. the power. They could, for whatever reason, they could make up legal, illegal, constitutional, non-constitutional, but they didn't. You're right. right. It's, it's somehow they need your permission. There's something, there's a boundary there that even they can't cross, which works for us, really. Um, but um, it, it does seem that, and, and here's the good news, though, is on that room I just read today, it said uh, 
two-thirds of Americans are not going to take the next round of it. So hmm. people may, that's kind of an indicator of people waking up. And if I see somebody that's jogging down the street with a mask, I would venture to say they might not be that uh, awakened. I don't want to say woke. I'd say they're not that awakened. This is yes, me. it seems like society is splitting into two realities <laughs> where uh, – People literally have different assumptions about how the world works and what's safe and what's good and what's evil. And it's becoming difficult uh, to even have conversations if you're on different sides because you're looking at different realities. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's one of the kind of the bridges that I've attempted to build on this program here. I had, I've had many guests on the show that the viewers would rather I mean not have on the show, but I just feel like somehow we just need to keep a line of communication. You know, I don't want to talk to, yeah. I don't want to talk to myself. And, um, yeah. you know, just because I have somebody on the show with a really radical opposing viewpoint doesn't mean I agree with them. It just means I want to hear what they have to say. And we, and we were talking just a minute ago, Mark, about we got to struggle to get just a little smidgen of truth. And that's kind of one of my goals. I've always said that every guest has a little bit of truth, no matter how weird. When I had the guy who, who believed he was Elvis on the show, he had a little nugget of truth, but I had to work it out of him, <laughs> you know. And when I got it, I did. I got a little nugget of truth out of him in, in the contest of why would you have this guy on the show? You know, who is this guy? You know, or, or this guy's this guy's a, uh, or this woman's a, a witch. Why, why are you even talking to her? Well, she might have a nugget and I might be able to actually put something good in her life to help her along the way. Because my goal, and I know your goal with, with the books you're writing, you're trying to accelerate, you're trying to increase the love on the planet, increase the development of, of human, the total human experience, which has got to include that spiritual component. Yes, and I agree with you. I, I like your approach that we need to hear the other side, whatever side you're on. It's part of growing, I think, and, and developing knowledge. What I like to do, especially when I'm researching for my books, is because I'm, I'm usually taking a stand on one side of an issue, but I want to understand what the other side is saying because there are a lot of smart people on both sides, and I want to understand why smart people believe something that I disagree with. What, what are the assumptions that they're making that I disagree with? Like I want to figure out what the – because usually there are actually a lot of things we tend to agree on, and then there's just a few things where they, they'll take a different turn. And it's important to understand what that other side is. Mm -hmm. uh, well, we're all having a – I think we're all spiritual beings having a natural experience. Is that how, is that how that's worded? We're, we're, yeah, we're, spiritual yeah. beings having a, a human experience. Yeah, uh, that's pretty much it. And well, I'll tell you, I mean, I've, I've actually – if I want to rattle my own brain, Mark, I think, okay, let me just think. Nothing happens when you die. It's just the chemical, chemical. You know, they, oh, they got, the, oh, they got that chemical identified in the brain. That white light, that's chemical. It's just one chemical mm -hmm. going over here, and you're thinking you're seeing a, a, a white light going to heaven. That's how that's explained. So I thought, okay, if there's nothing on the other side, okay, so now I'm going to die. I'm in a casket, but I don't know I'm in there. I don't know where I'm at because I, I wouldn't even know that I know because I wouldn't exist. So I try to imagine. It's like trying to imagine. Imagining that is trying to like imagine. Well, where's the end of space? If you bring your mind out, well, you know when you get to the end of it, you can't get to the end of it because your your mind can't comprehend how vast it is. You got to keep going. Nobody knows where the end of space is. So let's go that that kind of thinking. So in the end, I think it can't be just nothing. I, and my mind, my, my it's is more illogical for me to believe that that nothing happens when you die rather than with the evidence that we currently have of all these invisible activities going on around us something is transcending time and space yes i agree and some of the strongest evidence that i've come across is in the near-death experience when a person's brain is off 
and yet their consciousness is hovering over their body, sometimes even outside the room. And then when they're resuscitated, brought back to life, they tell the doctor or family members what happened from the vantage point of being outside their body, and they get it right. Mm -hmm. They're called veridical out-of-body experiences, meaning that what they describe is verified by people in the room who were not sick or were not dying. So that tells you that you have a consciousness that's operating in a manner that's not a hallucination. It's completely lucid and it's accurate at a time when the brain is off. So for my podcast, Where Is My Mind, when I interviewed Dr. Bruce Grayson from the University of Virginia, mm -hmm. he told me, he said, Mark, we're left with this paradox that at a time when the brain isn't functioning, the mind is functioning better than ever, which suggests that the brain and the body might actually get in the way of our consciousness. The analogy that I often use is that the brain is like a blindfold or a filtering mechanism. And when you get it out of the way, then the broader reality becomes exposed. And that's why people say the near-death experience is realer than real at a time when their brain is off or barely functioning. Or they'll say that they had omnidirectional 360-degree vision or people who have been blind since birth are able to see and then they come back in their body and they can't see. Something about the body actually constricts consciousness and we get the brain out of the way, our consciousness is liberated. Mm -hmm. I've heard uh, reports that suggest that heart transplant recipients actually get some of the memories of the person. So that, and so it, it tells me that the heart is much more than the, what we know it to be, that it's, it may transcend things. And I know you talk about the mind and I think that the mind battles with the heart. We, you know, we all hear speak from the heart, you know, work from the heart. But the mind is a defensive mechanism. It seems that the mind is always trying to convince us, getting back to rational, rationality versus irrationality, the mind says always you had to be rational for self-preservation, but the heart says take leaps of faith, believe in a larger existence. So there's these, there, these two are all, always battling. So is it possible, when you, you mentioned the mind sort of in a, a near-death experience, but if in that descriptive, could it be that we're we're operating from the all-knowing heart, the, 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 the heart that of a person, the essence of a person that exists forever. Yeah, that's the way I see it, that there's a part of us that's beyond the body that is let free. And when it's in the body, it's a bit more constricted. Uh, but those cases of organ transplant donations, that's a, that's a very important area as well. Dr. Paul Pearsall wrote a book called The Heart's Code. I talk about it in my first book, End Upside Down Thinking, where people who have these transplants, they take on personality characteristics of the person that they got the organ from. And often they didn't even know that the person had those personality traits until they start to behave very differently. And then they, they realize, wait a second, I got my heart from this person and this person was X, Y, and Z. So there's something going on where our essence the essence of who we are is beyond just our physical body and that different organs in the body help us to, if you want to call it, receive uh, that essence. Mm -hmm. we're, we're, we're antennas in that way. We're picking up stuff from the outside and then it's coming through the body, expressing it in a certain way. Mm -hmm. uh, have you heard uh, or seen any pictures? I, I, saw, I saw a picture and read a story that suggests that when at the exact moment that the sperm goes into the egg, there's a light, and then people have captured that light, and people are saying that is where the soul is being put into that organism. Mm. Have you heard that? 
I, I think I've seen those pictures. I, I'm not sure I've heard that theory. But that's really interesting because I've often asked myself, when is it that the fetus is conscious? Because if you believe this, I, this argument that I make, that consciousness doesn't come from the brain, but rather it's received by it, then that would assume that you could have a fetus or an organism that hasn't received consciousness, almost like an empty vessel. So it has implications for things like abortion, you know, just various arguments that people make. Mm -hmm. I often wonder, well, at what point is it actually a conscious being? Mm -hmm. um, and that would be interesting that if, if the soul does come in right at conception, mm -hmm. or I've heard other people make an argument that it's within a few weeks that the fetus actually becomes conscious where the soul enters the, the body, or maybe it varies by the mm -hmm. pregnancy. I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, all right, let's get to another question here. Um, do you have any knowledge of beings referred to as the watchers i have heard about this and i believe it's the book of enoch where the, that term is people often reference that um i don't know enough about this to comment but okay. generally this notion that there are beings that have intervened in our society for a very long time like going back to ancient history that is something i've written about i think there's something to that uh, some would even say that we've been genetically modified or some of these beings have interbred mm -hmm. with humanity. That is a theme that even occurs in some of the modern accounts with regard to abductions because people talk about a hybridization program, whether sperm and eggs are taken or there, if there's an insemination, uh, there are phantom pregnancies. Women mm -hmm. come back who haven't had a sexual encounter and they, they become mm -hmm. pregnant. I wrote in my book about uh, women who are, are lesbians that have phantom pregnancies. And then the pregnancy always seems to disappear, and the gynecologists don't know what happened. So all this is to say that there could be something with other beings who are reproducing with or hybridizing with us, and it could be a very ancient phenomenon. Mm. Interesting you say that. I had a guest on the show. Her name was uh, Sierra Nabila, and uh, she said she's lesbian, and she said she was impregnated, and they 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 took her they took her uh, her baby, and um, of course she said. There's no way because, right. <laughs> you know, right. well, for obvious reasons. All right. Um, Mark, in your opinion, what's the biggest secret people are willfully ignorant of? Is it uh, reptilians, divine creation, Illuminati? Hmm. What's the biggest secret? Biggest secret. Well, to me, it comes back to our identity, that we are not a body, that we're a spiritual being having a human experience in the physical world, and that our identity is actually not something physical. That's fundamental to everything, because once we get our identity straight, um, that at least has, gives us a chance to evaluate the world in new ways. So that's where I would I would start. Mm -hmm. um, what, let's just say somebody um, is uh, kind of new to this whole concept we're talking about of um, other type beings, interdimensional beings, near death. This whole this whole sort of category. Suppose they've been living their life, going to Walmart. They've been working, paying their taxes. They realize that they have this sort of empty emptiness. There's something that can't fill it. They're, you know, they can't fill it with, you know, drugs or whatever. And their life seems to them to be meaningless, unorganized, chaotic. And they just may come to the point. Well, maybe there's something. Is there something else out there? So, I mean, in that very in that very moment, how would you sort of well, how would you relate to them to say to move toward the, what we're talking about, living and operating in an awareness of a, a larger spiritual world? Hmm. Well, I, when I usually talk to people who have that mindset, um, because I used to have that mindset, this very mm -hmm. nihilistic world is meaningless perspective, I like to, to start where we can agree on something that's mainstream. 
And where I start is on the, the connection between the brain, this physical structure in our body, and our consciousness, which is our sense of experiencing. It's, it's subjective. The body is something physical. Consciousness is something non-physical. This is known in science, even according to mainstream neuroscientists. It's called the hard problem of consciousness. And Science Magazine, totally mainstream outlet, has called this the number two question in all of science which to paraphrase is they ask, how is it that something physical like a brain could produce something that's not physical like mm -hmm. consciousness? Right. And that exploration, in my opinion, leads to the understanding that, wait a second, the reason that we don't know how a brain could make consciousness is that because the brain doesn't make it at all. But I, I start there because even your best scientists can't explain to you how you are conscious. And once you realize that that big question is unanswered, it opens up a lot of possibilities. Hmm. Well said. That's a that's that's a good approach. Uh, I was uh, just wondering. We were talking about the spark of life. S it seems that science is getting closer to cloning humans. Who knows if they've already not created a human-animal hybrid or transhuman of some sort? Google claims that within years they're going to be able to transfer human consciousness to a machine. AI is starting to take over the world now. I, I got a feeling that AI Mark is going to say, "Well, we." This this population is un unnecessary. This one's dragging down the hole and start and start making decisions and then say, hey, AI said it. We didn't say it, you know. So you got you got to go to the the, the elimination complex. Um, but uh, is it possible that once say if Google's right about transferring consciousness to a machine, or even in the event that we're able to clone a human, is that same spark that same uh, spiritual awareness going to come with it or is that a one-time deal and and it's going to be this sort of soulless entity walking around that appears human has human thoughts likes the taste of ice cream but is not not has something missing in the eyes right it's a great question here's how i think about it if we're talking about a machine that's just a very complex computer because i don't think that consciousness comes from the material world consciousness will not emerge out of that machine but could you create a machine that has some kind of a biological receiver on it to turn it into a biological entity that could somehow pick up consciousness that's a different story i don't know enough about the technology and there are people who talk about clones people who claim there's a secret space program which is difficult to validate but there are lots of accounts of this they talk about bodies a potentially cloned body where their consciousness was transferred into it mm -hmm. So I think that's theoretically possible, but I really just don't know. Hmm. It is amazing. I've had some of those that suggest the, the the space program that you're talking about, including time travel. And yeah, I had this one guest on a number of times, and um, he talked along those lines. And one would instantly dismiss this person as stories made up. So I, my my kind of job as the the host, I I, I want to gently you know gently uh, test his theories, you know, so I, I gently put the questions out that I felt like really couldn't be answered. But everyone I did, everyone I put out, he answered and he wasn't reading anything. It's like, damn, how'd you do this? Well, that we did this and then we were there and did this. It's kind of like I had a time traveler on. He said, he, he sent me a photograph of him at, uh, at, at uh, Gettysburg. And he's, he said, there's a picture, uh, um, there was a little kid with missing a shoe. You could see him in the picture. And he said, well, that's me. I said, what happened to your shoe? He said, well, I was on Fifth Street over there, and I was running because I just stole an apple. I mean, he just, just you know, just went on. It's like, 
I couldn't, I couldn't like undermine it. And I was into, <laughs> I mean, I mean, if, if the guy keeps talking plausible, you know, in fact, this guy that's uh, on the secret space program said, well, I said, well, he said it cost 20 bucks. You, you had to pay 20 bucks to go up there. I said, well, how'd you get, how'd you get 20 bucks? I said, well, they gave me a credit because I was in this program and I, you know, it's like, you know, I mean, sometimes it's, 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 it's like, okay, well, I, I, I wasn't there, so I can't say. Yeah. It's really hard to evaluate those cases because it seems so outlandish. People have incredible details. Um, in my book, An End to Upside Down Contact, I only talk about the secret space program briefly because I find it difficult to prove. But I mentioned a case. Uh, the man's name is Tony Rodriguez. He wrote a book called Serious Colony Cavalier, which came out within the last year. A uh, very, de very detailed account. But what was interesting, the reason I mentioned his case is not only does Michael Sala endorse him. Michael Sala has done a lot of research in this area. But there were remote viewers uh, the Farsight Institute, which looks at historical events, they, they have multiple remote viewers look at an event, and the remote viewers don't know that they're what the event is. They know that they're looking at a number which corresponds to an event, and they don't know what that event is. So uh, Dr. Courtney Brown from Emory University, who runs Farsight Institute, I think he was also very skeptical of the secret space program, but he said he heard about this case of Tony Rodriguez, and there were details that his remote viewers were coming up with in other readings. So he said, this is interesting. Why don't we do a remote viewing on some of the events that he wrote about in the book? And he claims that his remote viewers validated some of the events that he talked about in the secret space program. Mm -hmm. So is it proof? But it's interesting though. Yeah, I think it was, in fact, I think it was Rodriguez that told me about the $20 fee. <laughs> so, okay. So, Hey man, I'm, I'm with you. I don't know. <laughs> I'm with you on that. But anyway, I've, I've learned, Hey, if I wasn't there, then I can't say somebody, I mean, I've, this is the way we're trained. Oh, that, that's that's not right. Well, I can't say that unless I've got the facts to say why it's not right. right. You know, uh, I was at the, I was at the space station. They don't have a rocket there. Um, you know, I mean, on and on. But since I can't say that, I just say, well, okay, that's your story and it's plausible. So, you know, in this day and age, Mark, I mean, isn't it hard to imagine something that could not be weirder going on than today's society. If you if you told somebody 10 years ago or maybe three years ago, what's happening today? They say that that's all. Oh, that's just nonsense. That's how we were trained. That's yeah, just not that would never happen. You know, well, you know, here we are. And, um, you know, we've got we got Iran getting ready to get a nuke. we got Russia getting ready to fire nukes. I don't know if we got eight dollar gas prices and inflation going crazy. Animals dying. I mean, it's just it's just whacking this country's this country's at each other's throat. Seems like that the reason for that is more and more people are choosing not to believe, and that is in the end of that. I mentioned I asked in the first hour, what is the end result? What is the end goal? Well, I think there isn't any. It's chaos. It's destruction. Yeah. But it seems if you choose the other route of living and acknowledgement and seeking that you have a tendency to make your world around you better. Whereas if you don't, it's almost this instant degradation of society that's falling apart. And the, the weirdest things happen and the weirdest crimes happen and the weirdest things are justified and enacted in law. So I mean, we, we all have a choice, but man, we need to make sure we're making the right choice. Yeah. Because what's happening right now is, it's pretty scary to see it's unfolding this quickly too. Mm -hmm. um, and it's opened my mind to a lot of things because it's happening in front of us every day with the media. We're seeing how we've been lied to or things have been concealed. Um, one great example is the Hunter Biden laptop. They were able to censor this 
huge story in the, before an election and convince a lot of the population that it was a fraudulent thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, if they can convince something that's out, if they can convince you of something that's out in the open, they can tell you it's one thing when all you have to do is do five minutes of research to see that something's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, then what else is being concealed from us? And but that openness is really critical because then we start to break free from a lot of the assumptions that we've been programmed to have since birth. Mm-hmm. I'm tr- constantly trying to think like, what do I still assume to be true just because I was told it to be true? Right, exactly. and how do I know that to be true? Cause I know I still have programs. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm with you hundred percent. You know, what is it? What is it? I mean, my, my, my awakening came with the, the acknowledgement of, of, or what I, when I found out what fluoride was all about, I thought mm-hmm. that fluoride was an FDA approved thing. And it was, it was, you know, created by doctors and, Find out it come from nuclear waste plants and the inside of uh, uh, fertilizer smokestacks, and it's never been approved. And I mean, on and on. And, and in Africa, where fluoride occurs naturally, whole villages have people have deformed arms or they frozen place. So I was thinking, well, but that's on every. Of course, there was one little hint because on the back of a toothpaste it does say, if you ingest more than a pea size, call your local poison center, mm-hmm. not your doctor, your poison center. Well, why would that be? So anyway, that was sort of the, the the awakening, and I think a lot of people need to start going through there. You mentioned the Hunter laptop has been hit. Where's the apology? Right. Where's the apology for the the, the three-year investigation by what's-his-face? I mean, there's just never an apology. It's just like this, move on to the next news. And, and of course, it's called gaslight. We live in a in a world where we're being, we're being gaslighted every day, and you just said it. What you plainly see with your eyes, you plainly research what the truth of the matter is, and somebody's telling you it's not what you see, and it's not the results. And we were we're, we're just we were just told that the border is completely safe or secure, and now, so we got three years of the Hunter laptop still sitting out there with all kinds of crimes on it, but the investigators for the Mar-a-Lago documents saying we can't have somebody looking at those because it, we need to we need to investigate this quickly. I'm thinking, when did you start that? Right. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, now you, you now you want to, you know, somebody slowing slowing down your investigation now? Wait, you know, gaslight. And and I'm not making a case for Trump or left or right. I'm more of a libertarian like yourself. I don't like uh, uh, to me. I, I just don't like those titles. They're separators. Yeah. Seems like libertarian man, man. You know, hey, I, I, both of you, both of you, okay? Yeah. Can we all get along? Can you know? Can we all get along? But um. Uh, but I, on the other hand, there's a trend, and that trend is is keeping us back, keeping us at odds. The, we're not going to progress. And I've always said this, Mark, because we, I've had so many people on the show say, "Well, uh, we've just get our vibrations right." You know, let's just you know, if we get get uh, operate in a higher vibration. I'm thinking, well, you might operate in a higher vibration, but there are whole continents like China who has subjugated a whole class of people to be their slaves and there's people's getting their arms hacked off in, in Africa that aren't really going to be vibrating that way. So I don't know how we're going to get them in on it, but some something larger has to happen to get the earth heading in the right direction. Yeah. I, I've had that realization too, that it's not only increasing our vibration and working on ourselves, but there's action that has to be done in the world too. Actively, I mean, it's a form of boundary setting where we see something that's wrong. We have to say no to it and actively resist certain things. It's not enough to just sit there and do nothing. There there has to be action. And I do see this sometimes in the spiritual community, a desire. It's an innocent desire. I don't think there's any bad intent, but it leads to passivity. 
to say, well, I'm just going to sit here and, and I'm only going to meditate and that's sufficient. I think it's good, but then more has to be done too. So I, I've worked on this more in my second two books, the notion that there is dark force, that there is darkness and evil in the in the universe, and that's a reality. We can't ignore that. And to sit back passively is not going to solve the problem on its own. Hmm. So we need to we need we need to act act on. Uh, you know, it's interesting. Um, uh, Benjamin Franklin said, "The older I get, the more I'm convinced that God rules in the affairs of men." And you could translate that and say that there's the more the older I get, the more I perceive there's a spiritual force at work here. Yeah. And uh, so I think there's a benevolent force, and then there's an, another kind. But I think. Um, we do have a choice, and there are some things we can do. I just think we'll we'll advance in our in our spirituality when we acknowledge one that it exists. Two, that it's okay to look to see what's happening because now some people are just scared. So I don't want any of that spooky stuff. I don't want to talk about any of that spooky stuff. You know, well, and the people that say that usually live pretty boring lives. I find it a little bit more exciting when you hit a synchronicity when you see one just so right in your face, or when a thought comes to your mind and then that thought comes to pass you know what I mean the, to me that's a much more exciting life and you've written how many books have you written in the end of upside down four books John do you have any in the works anymore um not that I know of <laughs> the way it works is that I'm re I always research and then at the very end I say wow this research congeals into one thing uh so I haven't gotten there for a fifth and who knows mm -hmm. we'll see so so how did how did this whole concept the end upside down come to you well, I wrote my first book, and then uh, people said, Mark, you should get a, a book agent. If you want to get your book published, that would be a good thing to do. So I reached out to uh, Bill Gladstone of Waterside Productions, and he represents Eckhart Tolle, lots of people in the spiritual space. And he ended up signing me, and he said, look, I, I like your book a lot, but we should make this the title. We should make it an end to upside-down thinking. Mm -hmm. Because what I'm saying is upside-down is the idea that consciousness comes from the material world. No, it's consciousness is first, and the material world emerges within consciousness. That's the upside-down mm, thinking. Wow. Um, that's the thesis of the book. Mm -hmm. So I didn't even know I was going to write any more books after that. But then I, you know, the next ones came to me, and I'm realizing, wow, everything's upside-down. So I can keep mm -hmm. the same basic title and just change the last word. By the way, this this crawler here, that's uh, you've appeared on these shows? Yes. All right. Now, I, I do expect to see the Edge broadcast in there. Okay, we got to get it on there. Yeah, uh, send me the logo. But Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> so the end of upside-down... Um, well, that actually has a positive connotation, the end of something. So it's not the end of civilization. It's the end of things that stop civilization from progressing. Yeah, where exactly. it was Where it was designed to be. Right. It's, it's trying to correct the way we look at the world and the way that we do things. That's been my personal journey. It always starts with, with me being really interested in something and realizing that I was very wrong about the way I looked at life. And then... I decide I want to share this with people and put the research into a book so that other people, if they want to, they can have that experience. But there's so many things that are upside down. I mean, it's unbelievable. Mm -hmm. And that is a scary thing. It, it, it really, uh, it kind of goes back to my gaslighting statement because it, it's upside down when somebody tells you something is patently false and they're trying to tell you that it's true. Um, and uh, again, I don't want to get too political, but I mean, uh, our current president said that one, he rode a train for 50 years. Two, he wrote a he drove a semi for a bunch of years. Um, I mean, he he said all these. There's a, there's a whole list of them that are. I don't know where they're coming from. Why why he says these things? But you know, he called his wife his sister. 
Um, I'm, he called up dead people the other day. There was a whole series of vi- videos of him shaking ghosts. I guess he believes in the afterlife because he's always sticking his hand out to shake. And there's nobody there. So I guess he believes in ghosts. So maybe he's being a leader in that. I, I, no, it's just, that's an epiphany right there. I just come up with that one. But but we're always being sort of gaslit. It's like, man, somebody's got to start speaking for truth's sake. you know. And I think there, there are things, yourself and myself and others like us out here, um, I don't know if that will congeal into a larger thing. I know there's a, the television network called Gaia. Net, Gaia. I think yeah. they're trying to do something more on the spiritual kind of, you know, more like alien thing. But I think they got a little whack. They got some wackiness going on there. You got to take what you can get. But um, it, it just seems if we start diverting away from the naturalistic world, then we're going to start getting to a better world. Yeah. Yes. And I think to your point about gaslighting, because this is just happening everywhere. The, the solution to it, to me, is to take the mental energy to do research and to not just accept every headline. And that sounds very simple probably to you and your audience. But what I'm realizing when I talk to people who are very, very intelligent is that that is a, is a radical act to not accept the headline. Mm-hmm. So we need to encourage this culture of questioning. And I think that's a spiritual endeavor as well, is to constantly acknowledge how little we know because we're in a human body and we have limitations. And to have that humility, always to ask questions about things. Mm-hmm. That's that's maybe the, the underlying solution to all of it, is to have that humility and then to actually go with it. And then people start to inherently recognize where we're being lied to. Let's mm-hmm. just say that because I, I, I have this sort of – this. Uh, Think creed I live by, and that is whatever I'm being told, believe the opposite and work your way back to what you were just told. Don't believe yeah. what you're told. Just believe the exact opposite. Chances are you'll be closer to the truth in the exact opposite. Now, it might be a little bit more toward the middle or maybe even a little bit more toward what you just heard or read. But if you start it on the 180 off, then you're probably going to be closer. You know, okay, well, if they say it's, let's just say, uh, you know, the more secure one. Okay, well, I said the border's not secure. Prove to me that it is secure. You just said that. You know, work your way back. Uh, in, in any any subject, just believe the 180 off and work your way back and see what you heard is true. And you 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 have to you have to fight like that because we've been lied to so much. And and then and and you also have to believe that when when your information is coming into you, to know just assume that manipulation is coming with it. A writer channel, a back channel is coming with it. And the title may grab you, and then you'll consume the information in there. Just know that whatever's coming at you in any form is a form of manipulation, and you are being manipulated to believe one thing. Like you said earlier in the first hour, how many things do I believe that I was programmed to believe? Mm. But just the the acceptance of that information on its face value, just, just know. Just look at it and say, okay, I'm about ready to get programmed. So if you have your guard up, it's not going to be so easy for that to happen. Yes, I'm with you on that. I now uh, I try to take the opposing view of whatever I'm told, because anything that is presented to us in the mainstream press is something that is allowed to be presented to us. Because mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. so many hoops that you have to go through to get an editorial piece through, or on social media, there are so many constraints where you can only say certain things. Mm-hmm. So then you have to ask, well, why is this being allowed? Whereas other things we know aren't being allowed. And then that means there are people who have an interest in me knowing this or me believing this. And maybe sometimes there is truth to it or there's aspects Mm -hmm. of truth, but maybe it's not the full story. Or maybe they're telling the truth, but they're excluding something. Mm -hmm. And it's this critical thinking and independent thinking that is so important. And we're seeing attempts to squash that. 
to try mm-hmm. to make it criminal, to call it like misinformation if doctors mm-hmm. ask questions, right. which is totally unscientific. So to me, like free speech is such an essential area to all of this, where if you shut it down and censor the internet, then we could start to have real problems because you could easily brainwash people. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's interesting too there because it seems like the harder they try to shut down an opposing narrative, you know that that is probably closer to the truth because yeah. the system doesn't the system can't gain from the truth. It goes back to the our autonomy we were talking about. They can't gain if we become independent beings and know who we are and what we're capable of. So therefore, they're always trying to to hurt us into an area because we're much more easy to manage. Uh, but I'd, I'd rather have a little bit more chaos and have a little bit more liberty. What isn't there a saying that some uh, uh, maybe one of the founding fathers said said, "Don't trade a little bit of peace and safety for freedom." Not that, yes. that what we do. We, we trade peace and safety for our freedom, and in, and in that end result, Mark, is not good. No, it's for the illusion of freedom mm-hmm. because you're giving up your your power to other people and assuming that they're going to take care of you, that they know what risk that you should be taking. And that's what I challenge in my book and end upside down liberty. This idea that government is a benevolent force. It's a mommy and daddy that's going to take care of us. But what is government? It's about it's human beings. And how could they possibly know what's best for me or for you, Daniel? They, they couldn't, even if they wanted to, because they're not in our mind. Mm-hmm. We're complex beings with lots of subjective preferences, things we like and we don't like. Mm-hmm. Why should a third party make decisions for us if we didn't give them explicit permission to do so? Mm-hmm. That leads to a lot of potential danger, and we've seen it throughout history. And that's this country was founded on this highly skeptical notion that, uh, that power is a, is a dangerous thing. Mm-hmm. And we've gotten away from that since the founding fathers. Mm-hmm. So it just reminded me of the early days in the in the two weeks to flatten the curve days yeah when um Michigan ordered i think the governor of Michigan ordered people not to plant seeds in their backyard and not to go fishing that tells you that that tells you the end the closer to the end result of the chaos that would be enacted upon us if we give these kinds of people more power and agree with them. If, if because obviously the people in Michigan must have agreed with her, put her in there. I don't. I don't think they they were ready for what they got. But I mean that kind of ridiculous and and that that kind of thing happened all across the country in the most ridiculous lockdown efforts. They were picking and choosing winners and losers. It's like you can't do that. You don't have the knowledge to do that. And so it they just. And it, back to chaos. It just enacted chaos on the entire country, and our kids are years behind in their learning as a result. Yeah, I worry about the next generations, the the psychological trauma that's been inflicted upon them, and just from a, the perspective of developmental psychology, the brain is developing, and when you have kids that are force masked and they're not breathing fresh air and they can't see the facial gestures of other people and the facial mm-hmm. expressions. Uh, that's got to be damaging. But if you if you were someone who wanted to control people, you'd want to control the children because to indoctrinate them at a young age, that is a very powerful way to control the population. And we've seen this with uh, totalitarian governments throughout the world. I mean, people talk about Hitler Youth. That's one very drastic example. But we see this throughout the world where governments are infiltrating the school systems and they're indoctrinating with mm-hmm. messages and biases that they want ultimately to make the population more compliant with mm-hmm. authority figures mm-hmm. um, that is absolutely true and here's the thing mark this 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 group of kids that are coming up uh you and i you're you're, you're obviously a younger gentleman than myself 
but we get close to an age where we're in a hospital and we got IVs and you got one of these kids that come up that way running your IV or you, I'm, you know where I'm going with that? Yeah. Because we're seeing a certain soullessness of some of the kids today and some of their actions and behaviors. They have no sense of decency. I mean, not all, not broad stroking, but you see, you know, like sort of like mob mentality and, and things going on that they don't care where you live or die. I mean, I, I'm seeing, I'm seeing this whole segment and coming out of the colleges for that matter, where humans are nothing more than numbers and inconveniences, especially ones that don't agree with you. You just may end up on the other, other end. They may be your doctor and they don't like you. You yeah. know, you don't want that. But, and, but you know, there's, there, there's used to be something that controlled that whether, um, uh, where people disagree, but yet people were decent to each other. But those 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 things that glue isn't so much there anymore. That glue's coming apart, and uh, who knows what can happen. In fact, there was a video the other day of uh, uh, an anesthesiologist guy was uh, was told that uh, he he didn't he didn't do something right in the operating room, and so they were investigating him. He found out about it, so he went and they got him on video. Of, uh, talk about IVs. He went and put some kind of poison in ten different IV bags, and they got him on video, and he would put them back. But that kind of soulless activity is is out there. The, you know, when people get knifed in New York City in the subway, all the, you know, all these all these deaths, and gruesome murders, because there there there's nothing there. Well, one of the uh, the underlying issues in what you just described, uh, talk about in the Liberty Book is extreme collectivism, the idea that all that matters is the greater good, this very abstract thing. And if you believe that, which sounds really nice, the problem is that it ignores individuals. It means that people are expendable. They're just numbers. Oh, so this person, we can let this person die. But uh, to me, it's like, yeah, the collective is important. From a spiritual perspective, it's important. But the individual is important, too, because the individual is part of the collective. You can't have a collective without a bunch of individuals. And that's what we're seeing is this extreme collectivism that we have to do this. It's for the greater good. It's for the benefit of all. Mm-hmm. It's We're being compassionate. And no, no, we're not being compassionate. We're not being compassionate toward individuals. Mm-hmm. So we have to start regarding each individual as important. Mm-hmm. There, there, there are in in the game of life, there are winners and losers. We have to accept that. There are risks, right. there's success and there's failure. And every time every people get together and try to eliminate those, it's, it's, it's totalitarianism and it's a horrible way to live. We cannot save people from themselves. And so their answer to that is control them before they, so they can't make any decisions. I mean, that's just no way to live. No, and the argument that I make in my Liberty book from a spiritual lens is that – from so my perspective is that we exist in large part in the physical world to evolve, we to evolve at the level of our consciousness. And we see this in the life review and near-death experiences. People get to relive their lives through the eyes of the people that they impacted. They got to see how they impacted people by becoming those people. So they get to see the positive and negative impacts. And then if you combine that with the notion of reincarnation, it seems like there's a cycle for us to evolve Mm -hmm. through different bodies. And if you believe that's true, then to your point, Daniel, then we need to have an opportunity, the freedom to make mistakes and to succeed, but to do it on our own terms. And that's why liberty is so important because right now governments or authority figures, technocratic figures, they want to tell us what risk to take. 
So if there's mm-hmm. a mistake, it's on their terms. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we might make mistakes if it's on our terms, but at least we're having the learning and we made the decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well said on that. Uh, go, going back to that life review, I certainly believe in that. And I, I'm, I keep thinking, okay, well, there's the, <clears throat> the, the, the story of Scrooge and, you know, he gets the three ghosts, right? And he, I guess at some point, he, uh, Bob Marley, he sees Bob Marley who has chains and a ball he's walking with. I think it's Bob Marley. And they said, well, what are these chains? And he said, these chains are the the bad things I did in my life that I carry with me through eternity. You know, I think it was mm-hmm. Bob Marley. Either, either Scrooge had that chains, and he said, I forged them link by link. And so that really kind of struck home with me. I'm thinking, Daniel, don't forge that link, okay? Make your make make it a good thought. Do a good deed. Don't do, think that bad thought. Don't do that evil deed. Because I think, man, I'm gonna. I I don't want to have to answer for those <laughs> those links, Mark. Yeah. And in my life review, I I already got enough embarrassment in there already. So I'm trying to add less and less as time goes by, and find out what I can do to 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 back those up. I don't know if they can be corrected. But uh, man, I, I'm in, I'm sure we all have a life review that we're not going to be too proud of. But hold, you know what? We're all still alive, and every day we get to write the next chapter. Every minute of every second, you get to write the next verse, the next line. So the past is past. Now you can write a new line and forge a new path. Well, Mark, um, uh, we appreciate you coming on the Edge broadcast. Any final thoughts? Website? Well, anything? I, well, I I just want to. Uh, add on to what you said about the life review. This is such an important topic. So important that for my podcast, Where's My Mind? We did a whole episode on it uh, because that's a life-changing idea. If we start to look forward in our lives and you know we can't control the past, but if we're going to treat every interaction as if it's part of a life review, that can change our own lives and change the lives of people around us. So I close on that note. And um, thank you so much for having me on the show. Thanks for your open-mindedness and your willingness to interview so many people. Okay. All right, uh, Mark, I appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye.